0: Would you all please stand and worship with us? this day I think the opportunity to come and worship you today Lord I ask that you would bless dr. Green as he um, speaks to us today Lord speak through him um, and give us ears and hearts that will listen to what he has to say um, bless us this day and this week you know we pray amen
1: good morning Covenant College. I'm channeling my inner Jay Green. Remember, I'm the more kindler, gentler form of Morton. Apparently, Dr. Paul Morton was unable to be reached to be, uh, to be given the task of introducing our lecturer today. My 13-year-old daughter, Hannah, recently told me, Daddy, you need better friends. All you do is fight. This was an observation of a verbal exchange at a New Year's party with Jay Green and Kelly Caput. <laughs> I told her that was not necessarily true. We don't always fight, but that our give and take was a greater reflection of our love language. You know, receiving gifts, words of affirmation, quality time, etc. I told her our love language just happens to be expressed in verbal abuse. Well, Daddy, you need to fight harder, she said. Now, I'm not here to pick fights with my friends, nor am I to share all the stories of our escapades, but it would be appropriate in this platform to tell you why Dr. Green's talk today, another dangerous idea, matters, and why we should pay attention to his words, even if one of his dangerous ideas is that the Cleveland Browns will one day, once again, have a winning season. Simply put, any conversation you have with Jay Green makes you think you are smarter, that you act more winsome, and maybe, just maybe, that you feel like you could change the world, even though he doesn't believe you can. (laughs) He is generally interested in your voice, although he's quick to challenge a point of view. Many of you know this about Dr. Green. But I want to assert that not only does his thinking shape his students and his friends, but I would argue that it is really through his life where he does some of his best work. Jay Green has saved my life on many occasions. And while I can think of one particular time when he kept me from walking in traffic in New York City, or maybe it was more than that, I can also remember more affectionately how he held me up through darker times. Let me say this. His willingness to enter into my strange psychology, and in particular, his willingness to hear my confession and absorb my misguided thoughts, this makes him a dangerous person. If he was falsely recognized as a famous actor, that's a true story. No, it was Mandy Patinkin; he was just our guest. Uh, or, if he had a superhero persona, which he does not. His power would be that, he, that of a sponge or a brick wall. See, I told you I have misguided thoughts. Whatever dangerous idea Dr. Green considers today, remember, it comes from my friend who lives a dangerous life. Please welcome to the stage Dr. Jay Green.
2: Going to college. Good morning. Good morning. I love you, Jeffrey. Well, there's a basic piece of advice that you've, been, you've probably been getting in one form or another for most of your lives. On your first day of kindergarten, you're a little nervous, you aren't sure if you're going to be able to make friends. Your mother says, Just be yourself, honey. Be yourself. You're dealing with peer pressures as a teenager, facing an increasing number of temptations from a group of cool kids that you'd like to impress. Dad comes alongside you and whispers, you know who you are. Just be yourself. Be yourself. You're heading to your fiance's house for the weekend to attend a series of bridal showers where you will, for the first time, meet dozens of his friends, cousins, uncles, and aunts. Don't worry, sweetie, he says to you. Just be yourself, you'll do great. Be yourself. It's remarkably basic advice whose aim is thought to be self-evident, a timeless bit of American wisdom. After shoot for the stars and make a difference, the number one most popular high school graduation speech theme across the country is, you guessed it, be yourself. And really, how can you go wrong with this advice? It just feels right. It's the very essence of common sense, right? Be yourself. Well let it be known that at least while I'm standing up here, the Covenant College Chapel is the place where common sense goes to die. (laughs) Because I have some advice of my own. Stop being yourselves. Really. The summons to be yourself is in the end little more than a therapeutic impulse that has little in common with the Christian gospel so stop doing it stop being yourselves being yourself is a bad idea and a misguided personal goal now why in the world am I standing up here telling you that be yourself is in fact a bad idea yay a dangerous idea Well. Before I get into that, let's talk a little bit about why most of us experience such a longing for the be yourself"ism that we commonly describe together as authenticity. Look around in virtually every direction, and it's not hard to find examples of insincerity, of hypocrisy, of backbiting, and of two-faced deception, people urging one another into ugly and unwholesome molds. We ask, why can't we be free to be honestly who we are? Why can't I just be myself? We'd like to strip away all that artifice to wipe those fake grins off one another's faces and to be who we really are. We like it when we get around people who know us so that we can cut through all that faux politeness, right? I get it. We're tired of performance, of having to be a certain way in order to be accepted. We're sick of projecting, of pretending, of play acting. Authenticity seems just the tonic we're looking for. Let's get real, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Robbins, the best-selling author of several books, including the aptly titled Be Yourself, states, we live in a culture that is starving for authenticity. We want our leaders, our coworkers, our family members, our friends, and everyone else we interact with to tell the truth and to be themselves. Most importantly, continues Robbins, we want to have the personal freedom and confidence to say, do, and be who we really are. Without worrying so much about how we appear to others and what they might think or say about us. It's an urge that seems universal. Robbins defines authenticity as a new sense of freedom to be who we really are, ourselves, natural, without a mask in our relationships, our work, and our life. Sentiments like these in Robbins' book, along with hundreds of others like it, enlist us as good Americans into what I will here call the authenticity project. This project is especially appealing within certain segments of American evangelical culture, I am told, especially among Millennials. In a 2014 essay in Relevant Magazine, Stephen McAlphin writes that the cry for authenticity is based on the notion that we're a generation let down by previous ones. Past ideals don't work for us. We're fed up with wearing masks. A lot of talk about masks, you'll notice. We're sick of wearing masks, hiding the truth about ourselves in an effort to blend in because it starves our hearts and leaves us empty. We crave a place and people we can be our true selves with and to be truly loved. We're crawling out from the bushes and searching for more. So what could possibly be wrong with the Authenticity Project? It sounds so uncomplicated sounds so healthy. Isn't this just a basic plea for honesty in our personal lives and relationships? Well, if the Authenticity Project were nothing more than a call to honesty, then I could get on board. I'm certainly not up here trying to make a case this morning for deceit. And I'll even admit that the bits of wisdom that you've gotten from your moms and your dads and your fiancés are probably harmless and probably what you needed to hear at the time. However, I would argue that upon closer inspection, the authenticity project is a serious cultural problem that seduces us into believing that a variety of ideas about ourselves that all turn out to be either misleading or altogether false, ideas that cloud and distort what the Bible tells us about ourselves and what God wants us to be. The first is the false promise of the true self. The Authenticity Project invites us to believe that there is, deep within each of us, a true, natural, undefiled self, waiting to be discovered and liberated so that we can live our best lives, the lives we were meant to live, the lives we deserve. The idea of the true self is a firm and sturdy myth in American life that's become an essential feature of what it means to be modern. The assumption here is that forces within society, our parents, our peers, our teachers and other cultural agents, maybe Hollywood or advertisers or social media, they've pressed upon you mutilating and concealing who you really are. Your greatest task in life is to discover your true self and to project that self into the world. Take off the mask. Be yourself. The Authenticity Project tells us that we struggle between two selves, really. A social self, the self that walks around every day interacting with people in various ways, a self that is always having to adjust and interacting with people in various ways, a self. Uh, that is trying to fit in. That self, the apostles of authenticity tell us, is a false self, and we need to cast it off. On the other hand, we have an authentic self, the person we truly are, the self that is always being suppressed and inhibited, but which the defenders of the Authenticity Project urge us to discover and to liberate. Be yourself. Plain and simple. We can see the line that divides the social from the authentic self in the all too familiar media ritual in our contemporary culture, the public apology. Where politicians, athletes, and celebrities gather at press conferences and courtrooms to explain their bad behavior. Notice how often when an individual aims to take responsibility for his or her actions, infidelity, shoplifting, spousal abuse, armed robbery, rape. The apology is often followed by these words, that's not the person I am. As much as to say, I committed this heinous act, but my true self is decent and good. The corrupt social self did it. The person that I am never would have done these awful awful things. It's just not who I am. We are told that our true selves are wholesome, decent, and good. And it's in there, and they're in there somewhere, promise. Second, the Authenticity Project urges us to see the rules of society, courtesy, decorum, propriety, civility, as all all these things that are designed to govern our behavior we see them as artificial trappings that inhibit us from expressioning our true selves. Authenticity says that it's better to be honest than to be polite. Better to be real than to be civil. Better to be authentic than to be politically correct. Better to tell it like it is than to risk being insincere by saying simply what we are supposed to say. This notion is well illustrated by Holden Caulfield the famous protagonist in J.D. Salinger's classic novel Catcher in the Rye. I've come to think of Caulfield as one of the great patron saints in the American cult of authenticity. He spends the entire novel lashing out as though at those he sees as phonies and hypocrites. Everyone he meets is putting up a front. No one is being themselves. He's sure that the greatest problem in our society is a lack of authenticity. He portrays adulthood as the place where children go to become phonies. Taking on adult-oriented responsibilities or conforming to adult-oriented conventions were, for Holden Caulfield, window dressing that he considered both disingenuous and deceitful. Because the Authenticity Project We admire people who aren't bound by the conventions of adulthood. We celebrate those who refuse to grow up, who forge their own path, who obey their own rules. Rules are for suckers. These champions of authenticity tell it like it is, come what may. The invitation to authenticity is very often little more than a thinly veiled excuse to throw off all external restraints, to run roughshod over silly norms of appropriate behavior and conventional morality. Let those true selves speak. We've even begun to look for leaders known primarily for their norm-busting, rule-breaking temper tantrums, and whose greatest character trait, we are told, is that they tell it like it is. I don't know if you can think of any leaders like that. This leads to a third dangerous insight. The Authenticity Project invites us to try on and shed an endless array of possible selves until we finally discover our ultimate, our genuine, our one true self. The Authenticity Project tells us that our true self is fixed and irreducible. It's somewhere deep within you. But until you find it, you're going to experience the self as moldable and ever-changing. Because the social self, we're told, is nothing but layer after layer of masks and fabrications, the authenticity project gives us license to abandon any relationship, any responsibility, or any previously held commitment if we come to believe that these things are keeping us from embracing our true selves. Just ask Caitlyn Jenner. Though he was born a male, Bruce Jenner, he discovered that his true self was actually a woman. So he abandoned everything, his family, his friends, and the features of his lifelong identity so she could embrace her true self. We're urged to praise this abandonment as heroic and brave. And an even more dramatic example of so-called bravery, a man from Toronto in 2015 left his wife and seven children to begin a new life as his true self, as a six-year-old girl. Later that same year, a 20-year-old Norwegian woman claimed that she was actually a cat trapped inside a woman's body. Keep looking for your true self until you find it. And when you do, nothing should stand in your way of affirming who you really are. Be who you are, even if that means you're a cat. Be yourself your cat self. Thus the fourth and final myth I'm going to talk about here, underwritten by the Authenticity Project, promises salvation through self-expression. If Holden Caulfield is its patron saint, the high priestess in the cult of authenticity surely must be Oprah Winfrey. No one has spent more time or has earned more money Preaching the glorious good news of authenticity than Oprah. And her gospel of self expression promises nothing less than real salvation. She's become perhaps the richest woman in the world and has developed one of the greatest personal brands in history simply by being herself and urging her followers to do the same. Look inside yourself, improve yourself launch yourself, love yourself, be yourself. These, the great commandments of Oprah's religion of inwardness, promises that we will be changed and made whole by looking deeply within ourselves. By looking inward to discover our true selves and by allowing that self to be our one and true reliable guide in life, Oprah is confident that each of us will reach the promised land. This vision of salvation through authenticity has become a deeply embedded truth and an article of common sense in American culture. Its seductive promises entice us to look to an imagined authentic self to throw off all the rules and responsibilities that frame up our behavior and order our lives. It insists that we will find our greatest strength and our most enduring hope by looking within. This, my friends, is a dangerous lie, which can only lead to emptiness and despair. It poses an existential threat to our understanding of the gospel. We need to take its seductive power seriously. So stop being yourselves. In a New York Times editorial last summer, psychologist Adam Grant made some of the same observations about authenticity that I'm making here this morning. Well, there's no obvious evidence that he writes as a Christian, and I kind of doubt that he does, there's a lot that he gets right, and much in his musings that point to a more biblical idea of the self. Most significantly, he observes, nobody wants to see your true self. We all have thoughts and feelings that we believe are fundamental to our lives, but that are left, uh, le- best left unspoken. He seems to understand that deep within each of us, there is not a gloriously beautiful, authentic self worthy of celebration waiting to be discovered. Sadly, the primary stuff we're likely to encounter there is brimming with ugliness and rot. The Bible calls it sin. I don't know about you, but I'm awfully glad that at least most of the time, you can't see what's in here. When I start to become authentic, people start to get their feelings hurt. Ask Jeffrey. Or better, ask my wife. She has the opportunity to see my authentic self more than anyone else. And I gotta tell you, It ain't pretty. Thank God for social conventions and rules that keep that self-suppressed most of the time. We can all be glad that we have norms and rules of propriety that keep us from unleashing the filth and sin that resides in my heart and yours. The Apostle Paul understood this well, but he used a different label for what Mike Robbins describes as the authentic self. Paul called it instead the old self. And he really wasn't a fan. Paul wasn't sentimental or dreamy about the self. He didn't think that we should look deeply within to discover and warmly embrace it. No. Paul thought we should grab a hold of it, tie it up in a burlap sap along with a bunch of heavy stones, and heave it as hard as we can in a deep, deep river. Yes. He urges us to kill it. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Don't miss that. The wrath of God is coming because of these. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger rage malice slander and filthy language from your lips the lips he's talking about here belong to your so-called true self you were taught with regard to your former way of life writes Paul elsewhere to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires in other words Stop being yourselves. Real transformation will not be found by looking deeply within, no. Our only hope is to become transformed from the outside in. The Authenticity Project is right about one thing, ourselves are endlessly moldable. But our only real hope lies in allowing these selves to be molded and fashioned anew by the hands of our loving and gracious God. Listen to this amazing passage from Isaiah. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. This isn't the language of inwardness and authenticity. It's the language of holiness, wherein we are being molded to become wonderfully beautifully, beautiful and wholly new creatures. So stop being yourselves. And instead, as Paul urges, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves in a categorically better, truer self. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Observe how radically different this way of talking about the problem of the self is from the impoverished picture that authenticity provides. The Lord is not signing us up for a navel-gazing project bent on discovering the good stuff you want to be by looking inward. Paul describes a different project being worked upon you from the outside in. God isn't interested in finding wholeness by helping you make peace with your authentic self. No. He wants to make an entirely new you. A holy you. A redeemed you. A you that looks more like Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Cr- creature, The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Stop being yourselves. I think it's important that we reflect for just a moment on how monumentally countercultural the picture of the self offered to us by the New Testament is compared to the one peddled by the apostles of authenticity we find on television and in magazines, on self help blogs, and even in some quarters of American Christianity. The vision of authenticity sounds good and pure and wholesome, but its promises of inward happiness by looking inward are empty. And they lead down a blind path to a dead end. Well, some have tried to paint Jesus as some kind of ideal of authenticity because of his amazing capacity for keeping it real with sinners, it's good to remember that the pathway he took was defined not by self-expression, but by self-denial. Not by self-fulfillment, but by self-sacrifice not by self-actualization, but by suffering and self-dying. Our greatest hope rests in taking up our crosses and doing the same. Be confident in this, God is working in and through you to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And he is using his spirit, his word, and the believing communities he has surrounded you with to make you new in the attitude of your minds. He is actively at work helping you to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That, my friends, is good news. That is the good news. The hope we have in the gospel, as the writer of Hebrews put it, functions for us as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Our faltering and putrid authentic selves offer no anchor at all. And thank God, we have no need to rely on it. So please, I beg of you, stop being yourselves. God has something far, far better in mind for his children. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you see us as we authentically are, broken, boorish, petty, angry, selfish, weak, and needy. We also thank you that because of Christ, You are working renewal in us, clothing us with a new, truer self that will rest in and live with you forever. Jesus, the suffering servant, is the anchor of our souls, firm and secure. Help us to find our rest in him and him alone. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.
0: Please stand and sing